so wonderful to be here with you this morning. I see many friends that, uh, and family members that I haven't seen in, in several years. It's, uh, it's great to see you. I want to thank you for your invitation uh, to me and my family to come here and worship with you, to study the Word of God, uh, to worship in spirit and in truth. We certainly appreciate you and your support. You've, you've been with us uh, since we've, we've been involved in, in the work of evangelism, and we appreciate you very much. It's our work together. It's not Jim Hayes Ministries. It's our work together, and it takes all of us, and we appreciate you for that. Um, <clears throat> I want to thank you also this morning for your edification. You know, that's one of the main reasons that we gather here is to edify one another. And your singing and your prayer has uplifted me today. And I thank you for that. Um, I was told by the elders to speak on things that are on my heart. So, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a lot about Jesus Christ this week. We're going to talk a lot about the power of the Word of God. We're going to talk about some difficult things also, but the Lord spoke about them, so we're going to speak about them. Um, one of the things that has been on my mind for the last few years is the challenges that our young adults and teenagers face today. They are, uh, in their simple essence, no different than what we faced as young people, but it's presented in a much different way today. I want to talk about those things. And uh, seeing the impact that these things have had on our youth has really impacted me. The, the way they've had uh, these challenges have come to them and the way they've been affected. And it brings to mind Another reason why I want to study about that, this topic this morning, that's my granddaughter. Her, num her name's Oakley. <laughs> I hope you get to visit with her later. She will visit with you. Uh, that's my grandson, Bennett. That's another reason I want to talk about these things this morning. And I hope you get to meet him also. That He's quite a bit shyer than Oakley. But... Uh, that's two of the reasons that I want to talk about this. We all have kids and, and grandkids. Some of us have grandkids too. And we need to be concerned about these things. You know, since the elders asked me four or five years ago to put the lessons together addressing these things, uh, the numbers have changed. And we've polled our young people, our young adults and teenagers, about the challenges that they face. And I tell you what, I've done that every place I've gone since, since I was here last. And those things that they struggle with and that are, that are presented to them by the world are the same across the church. So we're going to study about a few of those things this morning. We're going to study about integrity. The undivided Christian. You know my great uncle Joe... In one of the last sermons that he put together before he passed, he made a statement 
that some of the most miserable people that he ever met in his life were Christians. Now that's weird, ain't it? What he meant by that was this. Christians who try to walk a double life. Christians that are divided in their minds. That try to serve God part of the time and try to serve themselves the other part of the time. They're miserable. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. You know, in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6, the Scripture reads, For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of His mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He is a shield to those who have integrity. Uh, let, I want to tell you all something I forgot to mention right off the top. I'm going to try to get one of you young folks to help me with my computer later. The scriptures today will be out of the King James uh, Bible. I need y'all to teach me how to add the new King James to my copy and paste. The Lord is a shield to those people that have integrity. The Hebrew, the word that is translated integrity in the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the word means a simplicity, a soundness, a completeness, an uprightness, perfection. In the Greek of the New Testament, that word is translated, it means incorruptibility, soundness, purity. But I want you to look, even the old copyright Webster dictionaries gets it, gets it right. It's a wholeness of person, being undivided, the state of being whole. But you know what? These new dictionaries, they've changed the definition of what integrity is. And I'm going to tell you something. We don't, when we don't understand the meaning of words and concepts that the Lord has put out there, and the Lord brings us some other, the, the world brings us some other definition of these words, which is 180 degrees away from what God established. It's a lie. Because it's what the world defines integrity as these days. Integrity requires that a person only perform actions that square with his inner values. In other words, the world is telling us that integrity depends on us. What we have inside of us, what we believe, whether it be good or evil or indifferent. That's what the world is teaching us and our kids. You know, I taught a class several years ago, and it was called Cognitive Intervention. And I taught several hundred men. This class was designed to teach them, give them tools to change the way they think. And it was based on biblical principle. Okay? And I would ask those men the very first day of class when class started, define, define to me what integrity is. And I'm going to tell you something, one of them got it right. Out of hundreds of grown men. And you know what he said? He said, I do the same thing in private when I'm by myself as I do when I'm in front of my grandma. That's right, ain't it? Lord knows if anecdotes could have seen some of the things I did. He got it kind of right. The good news is, is our young folks, 
the percentage is way up there. Our young folks know what integrity is in the church. And that tells me that they're being exposed continually to the Word of God. <clears throat> Vladimir Lenin, one of the founders of communism, made this statement several times. A lie told often enough becomes the truth. Now that's not true. But in practice, the masses, when they're told lies over and over, and they're not grounded in the truth and the Word of God, they, be they begin to believe these things and take them as true. You know, I was on a plane flight going up north to do some church work a few years back. Young fella, a graduate student, I think he was, I can't remember if he was from Washington State or University of Washington. But uh, he asked me what we were doing, and I told him we were going up there to do some church work, and he said, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. Tell them your truth. You're doing a good thing. Tell them your truth. And I'm like, what do you mean my truth? There ain't no truth in me outside of Christ. He said, no, just go preach your truth. And I asked him, said, so your truth is not the same? And he said, oh, no, no, my truth is completely different than that. But I tell people about it too. And I asked him, I said, so how can my truth and your truth both be true when they're opposite? And he said, well, there's no absolute truth. There's no absolute truth. And I said, well, is that true? You see, because that's a self-defeating argument. It's chaos. And who is the father of lies and chaos? The devil. Moral relativism. This is what our kids are being taught, folks. Moral relativism is the view that ethical standards, morality, and positions of right and wrong are culturally based and therefore subject to a person's individual choice. There is no absolute standard of truth. That is what our kids are being taught. They're being taught that they're all little bitty gods that can determine their own truth. Another famous philosopher. Listen to your own self. If you listen to that self within, then you find the truth. I guarantee you that dude never met me. Because without Christ, there is no truth in me. I want you to take a look what the Scripture says about that. In Jeremiah 17 and 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's what the Scripture says. You see, because God has a whole different standard than the world. A whole different standard. So according to the world, there is no absolute truth. According to the world, each person makes their own truth. But according to Scripture, there in John 14 and 6, Jesus saying unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what the Scripture says. Jesus is the truth. Our world today, Judges 17 and 6, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Does that sound like where we live today? It does to me. It does to me. 
Before we get started on this part right here, I want to make a couple of qualifying statements. You educators out there that are holding the line against a tide of filth from those above you mandating what you teach, and you're holding the line against that because you're old, upholding God's law over man's, Godspeed to you. Godspeed to you. Those of you who served in the military, those of you who serve as law enforcement officers, prison officials, prison guards, thank you for your service. You do God's work when you do it God's way. So please don't misunderstand what we're about to say. When I was a young kid in public school, do you know what we did every morning? We went to school and we started with a prayer. The Lord's Prayer to be exact. And then we said the Pledge of Allegiance. And then before we packed up after, after fourth period to go to the lunchroom, we said another prayer before we went and ate. Folks, that's against the law now. It's against the law. This country has fallen a long, long way. We've got people in authority positions that are teaching us and our children lies. And they are being destroyed. We have to stand up. And we have to arm ourselves and we have to arm our kids. We have to arm our grandkids. Okay? And I'm going to tell you what gives me comfort. Because I grew up as a patriot of this country. I'll tell you what gives me comfort now. It's because Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is not a Democrat. And He's not a Republican. And He's not an American. Our King has a kingdom Far, far above that. Far above. And that gives me comfort. The last time that we did this study here at Plainview was in 2018, I believe, or 19. These stats were from 2018. I just got an update on them a few months ago. <clears throat> In 2018, 71%, before we get started here, another thing. You young kids, you kids, anything that you don't understand that we're going to talk about right now, you ask your moms and your dads about it after we, after we dismiss. Or your grandparents, or these elders, they will lead you right. Unmarried sex in 2018... 71% said it was a good thing in America. And most of that is some of the same reasons that our kids have given in these questionnaires was because of peer pressure, national media offerings over and over, and this pressure just being put on them all the time to cave into this stuff. I want you to look at this now. Do you see that? 
Four years, folks. Four years. 71 to 76% in four years. Say that this is a good thing. Now, why do you suppose that's happening? Because that's what we're being taught. You know, a young sister in Christ, senior in high school, came home one day from school, bawling her head off. Now, it was very odd to see her doing this because she's a very happy person. Came home crying. You know why she was crying? Because the friends that she grew up with from the time she was in kindergarten were calling her names, which I cannot repeat. Were calling her names because she wanted to maintain her purity. And they were making fun of her. Her lifelong friends. A couple of months passed. Guess what? She came home again. And she was bawling inconsolably. You know why? Because she had given in. She had given in. She had surrendered that purity. And you know what? Those same friends that were making fun of her for not giving in were now calling her different names and making fun of her for different reasons. Folks, there is no win. No win when we play the world's games by the world's rules. It's chaos. We all know the risks of this stuff. Unwanted pregnancy, diseases, viruses, reputation, memory. You know, the brain's an awesome machine. It remembers so much. A loss of innocence. You can't forget this stuff once you do it. And becoming a thief. You ever thought about that? Becoming a thief? Hebrews 13 and 4, the Scripture reads, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. Please do not misunderstand me, young folks. When sexual relationships are entered into, under the authority of God, the way God intended it, it is a blessing. It is a blessing from God. It's not filthy. It's not dirty. It's beautiful. But when man takes part in this outside the authority of God, it becomes a curse. This is what I was talking about, becoming a thief. Because before we are married, our, our bodies belong to God. And after we're married, our bodies belong to God and our, and our, and our spouse. Not ourselves. There in 1 Corinthians 7 and 4, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourself to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt ye not for your incontinency. When we enter into this stuff out of marriage, 
we are becoming thieves. Here's a big one. Here's a big one. I spent 3,000, uh, drove 3,000 miles in the last two weeks because of this. Fifty-two point five percent of Americans believe that partaking in this stuff on a regular basis is a good thing. Looking at filth is a good thing. That's what they believe. The U.S. is the number one consumer in the world. We make up four point four percent of the population. We consume over forty percent of this filth. $12 billion is spent annually on this. And you know what's so crazy about it? Most of it's free. What does that tell you? But I'll tell you what's more alarming than anything to me, and I see it all the time. 64% of our young folks seek it often. Do we, are we seeing a pattern here? We seeing where this is going? This, this stuff right here is death on a stick. Did you know that this stuff activates the same chemical cocktail in your brain as methamphetamines, as speed, as dope? Is it any wonder that it's addictive? Do you know that when a young man or young woman is looking at that stuff. Do you know what area of the brain is activated more than any other? I thought it would be the self-gratification center, right? It's not. Do you know what area it is? It's the area that a person uses when he uses a hammer or a screwdriver. When he uses a tool. Folks start to look at God's creation. Other human beings as tools. We've got some of the similar risk involved in this, but the addictive part of it is through the roof. Through the roof. You know, God talks about all this stuff. He talks about it all. There in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You see, God has a standard about this stuff. 1 John 2 and 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. That's what it is. It's of the world. It's of the devil. We got a young brother in Christ. I'm just going to use one example. 
Young, I still consider him a brother in Christ. I don't know if he's in the kingdom or not because I don't have the authority to take anybody out or Adam, either one. God has that authority. But this is what I do know. This young man graduated college, married another uh, beautiful Christian girl, beautiful spirit, beautiful heart. They moved off. He got a job. One of his workers where he worked introduced him to this filth. And it latched onto him. I mean, bit into him. He couldn't get away from it. You know, Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings now, that young wife and her little baby are sitting in the church building worshiping God. By themselves. Because that father is sitting at home, imprisoned, imprisoned. Proverbs 7 and 25, let not thy heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths, for she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. You better believe it. <laughs> Folks, uh, I want to say something about this little part right here. You know, we're not supposed to hate people. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to love sinners. God did. God does. We're supposed to hate sin. We're supposed to love folks. Two thousand eighteen, sixty three percent of Americans said that being homosexual was morally acceptable. The risks are extremely horrible when it comes to drug addiction and, and suicidal ideation. You know what that is? It's when you think about taking your own life. Sixty three percent of people approved of that in two thousand eighteen. Look at it now. Look at it now. 71% in four years. Four years. Do we see something happening here? When our young people are told that not only is this a viable option, but it's a good option. Even when they know nothing about it. It's not right, folks. And it's our duty to arm our kids. God speaks about it.
Another young brother in Christ. Matter of fact, there's several of you sit, sitting here today that know this young man. There's two of you that lived with him when you were in college. I love this guy. I love him. You know what? He went from leading songs, leading prayers, helping wait on the Lord's Supper to being entrenched in homosexuality. Do you know what else? He has not been to a service in over 20 years. He calls me occasionally. In the middle of the night, he's usually drunk or high. And he wants to ask if God can forgive him of his sins. If he can go to heaven. I'm going to tell you something. He don't call me no more. He stopped calling. Romans 1 and 24. Wherefore God has also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their own error which was meet. The Lord speaks on it. Abortion, 2018. 42% of Americans said that this is morally acceptable to kill babies. Almost a million a year from 14 to 18 were killed. You think about that. You see cities like Lubbock being wiped out every year. Cities full of innocent people. 35% of all babies in New York City are killed. Look where this has gone in four years. Does that alarm you? About how our country values life? Values innocence? Could have picked out a hundred verses or more on this one. Romans 13 and 9. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill. You shalt not murder. Morally acceptable in America in 2018. 67% said it was alright to get high on a regular basis. 80% said it was alright to get drunk. Four years. Four years. 70% of people say it's alright to get high on a regular basis. 86% say it's alright to get drunk. What do y'all think about that? few years back, <clears throat> we were in Dallas at the Whataburger basketball tournament 
My daughter was playing in it. Got a call from back home. My best friend's wife called me. She found him convulsing on the floor. He could talk, but he couldn't get up. She asked me if I'd hold his funeral. I said yes. She called me back the next day. She said, we're not doing it in a church. He doesn't deserve that. We're going to do it at the hole in the ground. I don't want no scripture read. I don't want a bunch of talk about God. He don't deserve that. I'll tell you about Curtis. He obeyed the gospel when he was 15 years old. He was a good man. He helped a lot of people. He was a good lawyer. He did a lot of charitable work. But I'm going to tell you something. When he got off in this alcohol, this guy played middle linebacker in college. <laughs> he went from 250 pounds down to about 140. He couldn't eat because he drank. He drank his food. He drank his breakfast and his lunch and his supper. And I'm going to tell you what it did to him. He lost his law practice. He was sued by I don't know how many people for malpractice. He lost his family. He lost his relationship with God behind alcohol. I stood right there at that gravesite with that wife. He had two sets of twins, all girls. I think the oldest ones were freshmen at the University of Texas and the youngest, youngest ones were juniors in high school. Two sets of twins. And I sat there and looked at them. Now, yeah, you're right. I didn't obey her wishes. I talked about God. And I talked about the gospel. But seeing the destruction because of that alcohol that happened to that family. Terrible thing. 1 Peter 5 and 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about and seeking whom he may devour. Folks, if we're not sober, how are we going to see the lion? How are we going to teach other people the Word of God? The answer is, is we can't. If we're not sober. One of the elders asked me to talk about this a couple few years ago. And uh, I, know, I know what many of you are probably thinking. We're fixing, a, we're fixing a ride down on the women. That's not what's going to happen. Because this scripture applies to all of us. Not just the women. It applies to us men too. And it's not only talking about dress. It's talking about conduct. It's talking about an attitude. The way we view the world. Do we view it through Scripture, through the lenses of Christ, or do we, do we view it through our own? You know, <clears throat> here's some common questions that I get asked, especially by our young folks. Can I go drink a beer? I mean, I know it's a sin to get drunk. And I know it's a sin to cause someone else to stumble but can I drink a beer? What about a tattoo? Can I go get a tattoo? 
What about vaping? Can I do that? What, what are we trying to do, folks? What are we trying to do with those type of questions? Are we trying to get as close to that line as we can get and not cross over into evil? Are we trying to set the bar just high enough that we can eke over into heaven? Just barely get over? Because that's not what Scripture teaches. That is not what God demands of us. That is not God's standard. Romans 12 and 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're supposed to strive for excellence. Not set the bar down here. Because I'm going to tell you something, there is no bar down there. God sets the bar, we don't. 1 Corinthians 9 and 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Every man that striveth with mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible we're to strive for excellence in Christ Jesus. At the end of the day, boil all this down. Man alone is incapable of integrity. It's not in him. I don't care how good he is. In the world, there is no integrity. The only integrity comes from the author of integrity. A man that embodies integrity. Our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. He was perfect in life. He was perfect in temptation. You know, a lot of times we get this idea in our head that it was easier for Him because He was the Son of God. He was fully man. He suffered, he thirsted, he wept, he hungered. He was tempted as we are tempted. And he withstood it all perfectly with integrity. He was the perfect fulfillment of the law. He was the perfect spotless sacrifice. The only sacrifice that would suffice. He was perfect. He is perfect. He sits on the throne. He is perfect. That's our source of integrity. <clears throat> so as we wrap up, <clears throat> why are we to have integrity? <clears throat> well, simply, we're commanded. There in Matthew 5 and 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. Does this mean we don't sin? That's not what the Scripture's saying. That word perfect in the Greek means complete. Do we lack integrity when we stumble and we sin? I'll tell you what a Christian with integrity does. When he stumbles... When she stumbles, she gets back up 
She asks God to forgive her, and she fights. He fights. The good fight. And has integrity. To love life and see good days. 1 Peter 3 and 9. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but counterwise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Do you want to live a good life? You know, a good life is not one absent of hardship. God has promised us as His children that we will experience hardship. It's promised. But I tell you what, folks. As God's people, we have a purpose. We have a real purpose. And we have a hope in heaven. And that's the best life you can live on this earth. The very best. To be upheld. Psalms 41 and 11. Now I know that there are many people here, I know many of you personally, that have experienced dark times in the last few years. We've lost loved ones. We've experienced extreme uh, hardship in some areas. I'm going to tell you, can you imagine going through that without our Lord? Without the church? Psalms 41 and 11. By this I know that thou favorest me, because my enemy doth not triumph over me. And as for me, thou upholdest me in my integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. I want to be upheld. I want to be upheld. And finally, to see God. Matthew 5 and 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Can you imagine that? I try to think about it a lot. It's hard for me to imagine being there at the foot, foot of the throne. Please get out your songbooks. <clears throat> you know, there's going to come a day when each and every one of us are going to do one of two things when the Lord comes back. We're going to call on the mountains to fall on us or we're going to be filled with overwhelming awe and joy. It's kind of like that song we sing, Days of Elijah, Behold He Comes, Riding on the clouds, Shining like the sun, We'll have that attitude. Whether we're risen from the grave or whether we're standing right here on earth when He comes back. Or we will call on the rocks to cover us and hide us from His glory. This study that we did this morning was not meant to stomp on anybody. We're simply studying the Word of God. If you felt like you were stepped on today, I'm going to tell you something. There's a room full of people that have struggled with the things we talked about today in one way or another. You're not the only person. You're not alone. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ, you have not come in contact with His blood and had your sins washed away, 
Folks, integrity is beyond your reach until you obey that gospel. And you can do that this morning. If you are here this morning and you have obeyed that gospel, but you let the world attack you and you're struggling and you need the help of the church, the prayers of the church, we stand ready to help you as we stand and sing. Please come forward.